Do you think UFOs, the paranormal, weird history, cryptozoology, and outsider art are pretty darn cool? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to High Strangeness with your host, Steve Berg. Welcome back to High Strangeness, my friends. Tonight, I have a, well, okay. I have someone on who I'm extremely excited. This is a kind of a bucket list get for uh, us at High Strangeness over here. And this person is Mike Cleland. Mike, how in the heck are you doing? I'm doing great. It's my honor to be here. Thank you. Oh, well, trust me, the honor is all mine. Uh, I have been a fan of Mike's work, and I, I want to say since about 2008 or 9 or 10, when he started his uh wonderful blog and podcast called The Hidden Experience. But even before, first off, I just want to get this out of the way. A huge shout out and thank you to our mutual friend, Lucinda, Mm -hmm. who connected us. Uh, Lucinda was a guest on my show, wonderful guest. and She's just an unbelievably lovely human being. Super smart, super interesting. And I was uh, just talking to her and somehow we started talking about Mike and I was like, oh, I love to get Mike on the show. And, you know, she's like, I'm going to email him tonight. And I was like, oh my gosh. So Lucinda, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. But Mike and I actually did meet about five years ago. Mm-hmm. I want to say I'm so bad with time, but uh, Greg Bishop, a good buddy of mine, we uh, go golfing and then we'll go get tacos afterwards. And one time he was like, hey, you know, Mike Clowns actually stayed at my place. Do you want to meet him? And I'm like, absolutely. So I followed him in my car. I you nervously book, right? walked. Yeah, I, I do have a book. Oh my yeah. gosh, I, uh, it's it would take worry, me a minute to find. I trust but, you. I trust you. Yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing was, I walked in the apartment, and honestly, like, I have a uh, you know been around a lot of like famous people in the uh, entertainment world, and at a certain point, that just kind of doesn't mean that much to me. I don't get starstruck by it. But I remember entering <laughs> Craig's apartment, Mike, and seeing you on the couch, and I was like. <gasps> Oh my God, because it's one of these phenomenons where I've read your work, I have li- read your blog for so many years and heard your every episode of your podcast and probably nearly every appearance you've made on other people's podcasts. So I felt like I knew you in this way. And I, I don't know if you could tell I was nervous, but you were so unthinkably nice to me and you handed me an autographed book and I was just like, so touched and moved. So thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. You're very well. Part of the, I, I, I traveled, I was doing a talk on nothing to do with UFOs. I was talking about camping at a college right. in somewhere in, somewhere in central California. And then I figured mm-hmm. I would. And so I also, and that was 2018. That was, I think August or September of 2018. And I did a hypnosis session with Yvonne Smith over that same, that same couple of weeks that I was in California. Oh, no, that's interesting. Is that how you know Lucinda? I met Lucinda at, uh, I can't, I think it's called Ciro, the group meeting that, yeah. that uh, Yvonne does. Yes, I met her at the meeting. And I remember mm-hmm. she it was really interesting. She was talking a little bit about this shamanism thing, how she felt like she was being indoctrinated into this shamanism thing. And I, and I walked her out to her car in the parking lot and we had a mm-hmm. long talk in this parking garage. I remember that. So yeah, that's how we met. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's a lovely person, and just you know, uh, like I think when we first met, you were a person we bonded over our mutual respect for. So <laughs> yeah, uh, so I mean, it was just such a thrill to meet you back then, and uh, to you know get to chat with you now is a big honor for me. Um, and I am sure a lot of my listeners know this already, but Mike is kind of I guess within the greater UFO uh, studies and topic. Mike is wildly famous for being making this connection between owls and ufos and i even think if you google mike's name uh or if you if you google owl and ufos i think your blog or at least your name comes up first right like 25 things come up yeah yeah so i don't have to give my people say at the end of this podcast people say how do people get a hold of me i say just google ufos owls and the first thing that comes up on the next 30 or so things under that so Oh, that's promotional gold right there. <laughs> that's wonderful. Six letters that's wonderful. Me, yeah. Yeah. Are you, so like, I feel like just, you know, from uh, reading so much of your work and listening to your podcast, I, I know you grew up in the Michigan area. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yep. I have a map okay. with me right here. So I don't know. If yeah, I don't know so if you're turned around. Sometimes the, these things mirror you. So depending on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you know, but then you bounced around, you know, and didn't you live in New York City? Lived in New York City. I was a yuppie. In the ad game? I was an advertising agency. It was was sort of like, I watched Mad Men, and it was like a couple decades after the 60s, but uh, just, you know, kind of similar, different drugs, though, yeah, so. Right, right. uh, And then I, um, I left, so I grew up in the Midwest, so basically I lived, I was like, leave it to Beaver, that was my upbringing, Mm -hmm. and then I was a yuppie. So it was, I lived a Woody Allen movie and then I (laughs) moved out West and became a ski bum and started working for an outdoor school. So I was kind of, I did mountain guide. I spent a lot of time in Alaska and, um, and now I'm a UFO researcher. So like, it's kind of like, I'm kind of like, you know, that's not bad. That's kind of a good, that's a good spread of things. Yeah. So that's a good trajectory. You've lived the life of a, at least 10 to 20 people, I would say. Yeah. And I did a, so in in between there, I did a lot of illustration work and then, and now I'm writing books, which is, I don't draw at all hardly anymore. Like essentially zero. I draw zero now and I write, Really? I mean, a little bit, but it's, I don't miss it at all. Like I can pour, I get the same, the term I use is, um, no time, you know, like in the creative flow, you get like, like no time. I can, I can get that in writing. So I don't need to do the illustrations because I'm, I'm, pacifying or satisfying the that that creative need in me by simply um you know going through the creative process through writing yeah that's really interesting because i do think like uh one interesting kind of phenomenon uh, that has happened on you know this is like the 30 something episode i've done and i think with the exception of one person and I, i wasn't trying to do this everyone i've had on has a very strong link to the arts that's and a question I, 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 I used to ask that question. Are you a creative type? You know, you mm-hmm. ask someone who's had a contact experience or seen a UFO or had a powerful owl experience. I have a list of questions. One of them, are you a creative type? I don't bother asking it anymore because everyone is. It's like, yeah. So, you know, and isn't that weird? And I, I will say, you know, in turn, I think like a lot of people would think like, oh, everyone thinks of themselves as creative. That I don't feel that's true because I have a lot of, half my friends are artists like from LA, but a lot of my friends from Omaha and other places like college, they would say, no, 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 I'm I'm Joey business guy. I, I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I wish I was creative, but like, you know, it's, I don't think it's a thing that everyone actually does think they are. But I do find it very interesting that 
the arts seem inextricably linked with high strangeness and i'm not sure why but it, it does seem that way to me yeah you know I, I kind of like need to take a step back sometimes and like i like i need to for my own purposes and it's proven to be very effective for me where i like I can't go into the research logically. I have to sort of go into the research on an intuitive level because yeah. logically things fall apart, right? You're looking for, right. you know, a mood or a feel of a story rather than concrete practical details because those those the practical end of things kind of fall apart at a certain point. Right. And if you if you're and if you're very nuts and bolts, you will you will end up in a corner. I guess I'm in my own corner doing this owl stuff, mm -hmm. but, but you'll end up in a corner because I think it's so much has to be uh, uh, arrived at or, or contemplated through intuitive means, or let's say, I don't want to say unconscious because I'm very conscious when I go about this, but through intuitive or through a, through a, like basically through your heart rather than through your head. So right. logic will right. only take you so far and then that falls apart. Yeah, because I mean, in, you know, w inherently with a lot of this uh, manifestations of the paranormal, I, 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 I'm always like trying to figure out a label I can just like use for all this stuff, <laughs> but it, it, I fail at it. But a lot of this stuff does seem to work in a surreal, abstract way. So sometimes, you know, going through, it's, it's like, you know, there's almost like, I feel like the, you know, whatever UFOs represent or are, it's more of a David Lynch film than it is a Steven Spielberg. Yes, film. exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect way. It's a it's a it's a it's a David Lynch film that is even more bizarre than David Lynch because I mean even David Lynch films kind of make sense in a poetic sort of way by the time you get to uh -huh. the end of them, and right. and then oftentimes the paranormal stuff doesn't doesn't offer that. Um, yeah. It seems to be absurd by design, like it's meant to be absurd in a way. Yes. That. Like, it's like, I kind of call, like the owl thing has been my, my kind of, that's the thread I'm pulling on. And I've, right. I, I sometimes call that like the owl, the owl is a Zen Cohen with wings, ah, right? I so like the Zen that. Cohen is not meant to be solved. It's meant to confound the young student, you know, the, the, the meditation student in the, in the temple, you know, the, the, the his the monk says you know what is the sound of one hand clapping well that there is no sign sound of that so that's the same with the ufo or the the owl or the or the you know the footsteps down the hall in the haunted house you know that's it's meant to be unsolvable and i and i have to think that's by design so we are forced to mm -hmm. confront a question without an answer i and yeah other people may disagree with me completely but this has helped me enormously because I got to look out for my own mental health because I'll go insane if I try to solve this because it's because it, I don't think it can be solved. Yeah, it's a labyrinth with no end. And the way I mean, you know, I, I have been, you know, I, I often say on this show where like at, at this stage in my interest in this stuff and, and you know, I, I don't know how far your interest goes back with the UFOs, but it's been kind of a lifelong pursuit of oh, mine yeah. just to like, and when I say pursuit, I mean, just like heavy interest. It's been a part of my life, you know. It never, never not has been, but like, I feel like I'm always changing my mind. I, ne I don't have any fixed ideas about anything, but lately I've kind of come to terms with the, with what I believe that we'll never know. 
and like you kind of saying like i think maybe it's meant to be unknowable mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just oh, I think so. this like infi- infinity carrot that will never like catch up to exactly exactly and so that so the chase is the is the goal in a way so along the way let's yes. i mean you know the, the along the way you're chasing the infinity carrot and you're mm-hmm. you're going down the path and you're like, how do I understand this infinity carrot? Well, I'll talk to this person here. I'll talk to this really smart person here. I'll talk to this person who had this experience. I'll read this book. And by and as you get further down the path, you're you're you've been, I don't want to say indoctrinated, but your your file cabinets, your mental file cabinets, are getting more and more and more interesting stuff in it. And what I come have come away with is less that that's like. So my goal as an author is not to say to convince the reader that UFOs and owls are connected. My role as an author, I feel, is simply to tell good stories mm-hmm. and the story will have a mood. And I think that it's human nature to want to get lost in that mood. So like to be able to get lost in that mood for a little bit. And then if anything, if there's any goal at the end of my hopes as a researcher, is that the reader or the listener will be open to a deeper reality that like this tangible reality that you and I share, you know, where you stub your toe and it hurts. There's something, there's something more going on just beyond our, our, what our senses are able to pick up. We can get a fleeting glimpse of it sometimes. And my very strong sense is whatever that other reality is that can look in at us easily. We cannot look out at it easily. We sometimes get a glimpse, but not much. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's very interesting. You know, like it, it kind of brings me to this idea I have where it's not the evidence. It's not like, you know, radiation traces or, you know, uh, landing gear imprints in the ground or, uh, you know, a UFO or I mean, a ghost being caught on camera. But to me at this point, I don't think any evidence will be good enough. But to me, it's the stories mm-hmm, that matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I, I really resonate with what you just said. Something I kind of want to know um, is that I th- and I might be wrong about this, but the first time I remember hearing a connection with owls and UFOs was, I believe, in communion. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and, and I read that back in the you know when I was a kid, and but then it kind of you know like I don't remember hearing much about it until I started like looking into your work. Do you actually like know? who were some like how long have owls and ufos had this association like does does it predate communion like to your knowledge yes so so you actually so it's this you're the perfect person to so in i think it's on page 27 of communion whitley streeper describes what would be what we have now termed ufo abduction he never uses that term in the book he might but i Mm -hmm. but it but so he has what he called the visitor experience but he on Christmas night, so the night of the 25th of December, and it would have been waking up the 26th of December in 2000, and, excuse me, in 1985, he had an experience of like being seemingly taken to this other place. He doesn't describe it as a ship. He almost describes it as a tent, which is very odd. And then when he woke up in the morning, he told his wife, Anne, I think there was an owl looking in the window last night. That's what he said. And they went to the windowsill. And he said there was a barn owl in the window. 
they went to the windowsill and it was wintertime and this is upstate New York and there was snow, but it, but it wasn't fresh snow. So they, the, there was no spot where the owl, if, the, if an owl had landed on the windowsill, there would have been footprints and there was nothing. And he said that, he says it very poetically. I can't remember like how he said it, you know, like, you know, my heart felt blank and I drifted into the darkness of the night. He said it very poetically in the, in the, in the, as, as is his way um, in the, in the book. But so, so there's, so he said, I saw an owl, but there was no owl. There was no evidence of an owl. Right. Now where I, where this is, now this gets like, I've been searching for the very first recorded event and there, it might be out there. And other people mm-hmm. certainly have talked about it. John Mack talked about it in Passport to the Cosmos. Um, but but in but the the book in um, Communion is the very first one in the pop culture that that showed owls and UFOs kind of co-joined. And then in his follow-up books, he did two follow-up nonfiction books, basically continuation of the communion saga, the trilogy, essentially one was called breakthrough and one was called transformation. I can't remember which order they Mm -hmm. came in. Those have a lot of owl stuff in them. And I had read those that would have been in the early nineties. And then, and then it was around 2014. So decades later that I started working on my own book. And so that was obviously in there. I went back and looked at Whitley Strieber's writings. And if you put them all, it would be like, two or three typewritten pages. You know, if you, if you actually, what he actually wrote about owls in those books and, but it's so beautiful. It's like, it's, it's that mood. It's, it's that, it's that he calls it. He says, we are being communicated to in an entirely new language, you know, and basically the owl, the presence of the owl would be a form of language in the way he describes it, which is a beautiful, again, poetic way to look at this mystery. Now you asked for the first occasion the very first occasion i can find with ufos and owls well there's a this is tough there's a there's a uh roger corman science fiction movie in the 1950s i can't remember there's kind of a man in black character i can't remember the title of right. it. and it's a black and white it's totally low budget really it's really good it's really like trashy and <laughs> sleazy and right and i love yeah, oh yeah, yeah yeah it's as good <laughs> and and uh and there's a scene where this kind of man in black, he's an alien and he's taking over the identities of humans and he's drinking their blood. So it's got this vampire thing. So, or he's breathing their air or something, but so he sees the, well, it's a classic lowbrow thing where he's like walking down the street at night and he's following this woman and the woman turns and just before he bites her and like drinks her blood, I think he zaps the woman with his eyes. He's got, he like lifts his glasses and he's got like laser beams come out of his eyes or some cheesy special effect. But there's a, (laughs) there's an owl on a fence post that kind of like, it's totally stock footage. It's like, is it's like the grain doesn't match. It's completely stock footage. (laughs) And this owl in a lamppost like looks and hoots and then it bites and then the the owl kind of reacts. So they're there, there it's right there. Like UFO contact abduction, essentially. And an owl. But that doesn't have, like Roger Corman didn't tap into some zeitgeist. I think that was it shows up in Frankenstein. The Bride of Frankenstein has almost the exact same right. scene. It's all over. But the very first instance I can find in what would be popular culture is in um, Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five. Oh, it's all okay. over the place. It is all over the place. There's a scene, and I I'm, I could look it up, but I'm going to try to do it from from memory here. Billy Pilgrim, the protagonist, is 
the first line of the book, I think, is Billy Pilgrim came unstuck in time. So he's going through all these yeah. time loops. It's like it's kind of written in out of order and it's meant to be this kind of he's kind of being shuttled around on his own, shuttled back and forth on his own timeline as he writes the story. And he was abducted by the Trafalgadorians. And so, mm-hmm. so he says, I knew I was going to, I left the house and walked into the backyard knowing full well what was about to happen. And I, and I walked through the wet grass and the Trafalgadorian flying saucer hovered above the yard and it sent a purple glow and there was an owl hooting in the background. It's right there. And it shows up almost every time there's a contact experience, an owl shows up when he's in world war two, he's kind of like hiding or I think they're like, they're like moving. He's a prisoner of war and they're shuttling around and he describes everything in the wagon. And one of them is an owl alarm is an owl clock. And then, and another time he's talking about, um, Anyway, the owl thing does show up almost every time there's a there's a UFO contact event in the story, and it must have happened on purpose. Like he right. like it couldn't have happened by accident. And it's a spooky element, right? It's a haunted house spooky sure. element. It shows up on on um, you know it's a Halloween character, the owl, you know. So so yeah. there's a logic to it showing up there. But but wow, was that that kind of blew my mind when because now here's another thing. So. 20th century, if you like made a short list of the most important books of the 20th century, Slaughterhouse-Five would be on that list and Communion would yeah. be on that list. Like important wow. pop culture books. So these aren't like like little things kind of lost in the library. These are right at the forefront of our popular culture. Very interesting. <laughs> I mean, wow. It's, uh, I mean, you know, in Owls, you know, like I am no... Uh, uh, historian you know this would be better um this question would be better phrased by josh cutchin but uh J- josh talks you know about in his wonderful uh newest books uh ecology of souls or not his newest book but you know his two volume series which i mm-hmm. thought were wonderful but as birds and you know you could owls or birds as representing death and then i always think about that line and you know he talks about it as well but i do remember this line from Ann Streber saying when she was going, pouring through all those letters from, you know, abductees or contactees saying, Whitley, I think this has something to do with death. Yes. And, you know, and the bird being not a harbinger, but like a symbol of transformation from living to dying. I'm probably getting that wrong, but am am I kind of sniffing at the right area? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, um, so um, okay, let me back up a little bit. So Please. when I first did the first book, like I was all like focused on one thing, like owls and UFOs. And I've softened that a little bit over the years. It's going to be nine years. The book came out nine years ago, the owl book, the first owl book, the messengers. And mm-hmm. what I found is that I'm getting letters and I'm looking for patterns in the letters. I'm getting a lot of correspondence. So I'm looking for patterns in that correspondence and owls and UFOs are what I initially was asking. Now I say, I, I want to hear your owl stories. I don't want to front load it with saying, I want to hear all UFO stories. I am in the UFO community, the owl guy. So I'm getting a lot of UFO accounts that have an owl that are somehow involved in the account. So there's five things I should be able to do this off the top of my head. Owls and UFOs. So I can talk for hours on that. Owls 
and meditation. I've got a lot of stories oh, about me people meditating and they'll meditate and it's fewer, it's a fewer number, but they'll meditate and they'll open their eyes and there'll be an owl like staring in the window at them or they'll meditate in wow. the forest. I have a wonderful story of this woman meditating in the forest and she was sat down in the forest and she, as she was meditating, her eyes were closed. The forest got totally silent, like a, like a UFO event. Everything right. stopped in the forest and she, the Oz effect. <laughs> she opened her eyes and there was, she didn't hear it land. And there was an owl like within two feet of her face staring at her. So, and her intention was, I want to find my spirit name. So, and an owl showed up. So, uh, so owls in meditation, owls in shamanic initiation. So Lucinda is a good example of this, where I think she, like, like we have kind of a pop culture definition of the shaman, you know, like living in the teepee at the edge of the village and they'll take right. like massive doses of like peyote or they'll dance all night or they'll, you know, they'll, but like, I think Lucinda is playing a shamanic role and I kind of know her enough to she would kind of go, well, she wouldn't deny it, but, but yeah. so owls and shamanism. So, so people during their shamanic apprenticeship or their shamanic induction, I guess, um, people, they will have owl experiences is well understood in the community of shamans. So that's three, four would be owls and psychedelics, people okay. taking psychedelics, most mush, most often mushrooms. I, I have a, a few other accounts. I have all, I have no accounts of owls and DMT or ayahuasca. I'm sure they're mm. out there. I just, they just haven't right. ended up in my, no one's told me them, but certainly owls and mushrooms seem to show up a lot. Oftentimes real owls will show up like, like two or three people will take mushrooms sometimes in like a pay party kind of vibe. Yeah. And an owl will land in their, you know, in their circle essentially. Um, and then the final one is owls and death. Exactly what you're talking about. But so, and I got a lot of stories. That would be the big one. That's the big one. Owls really? And death. Oh, UFOs, death, owls. Ooh. Yeah. And then the other three in that. So there's five things. So what I'm saying is that I call these five things highly charged human experiences. Okay? Ah, oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. So so seeing a UFO is a highly charged human experience. Or a tr and, and then there's a transformational quality to each one of these things too. Taking mushrooms, a highly charged human experience. Becoming a shaman, highly charged human experience. Um, you know, a powerful meditative state, you know? So, uh, so the owl is not connected to the UFO. The owl is connected to the highly charged human experience of which UFO is certainly one of those, you know, it's interesting that I, I read a lot about near death experiences and I ask about it. I have no connection, no evidence at all of owls being connected to the near death experience. I want it to be, it, sh it seems perfect, right? right? But, but there's, but, <laughs> but it may be out there. I simply haven't received it. But what I do have a connection is people who have UFO contact and have had a near death experience. Those people have owl experiences. So, wow. That is fascinating. That, that, that have you, uh, I mean, cause like, these stories and almost like, I mean, I hate to use such a clinical term as data because oh, people perfect, are writing yeah. these probably like very, you know, but like, I mean, just to like kind of like zoom out, you know, you would consider all these testimonies and stories that you're getting in letters you're getting as da data points. It would be really interesting to try to like, like, I don't know, statistics, but like to really collate this mm. and find the patterns, mm. you know, I, I, I know that would be like a insurmountable job oh, for I you yourself so, with all the things you're doing, but. 
Well, it's I mean, somebody it, needs to tackle that for you. Or I, I, I've thought about it. I've actually talked to colleges and said, like, you know, what's involved? What's really involved? And some of it is oh. really pragmatic. It's like you got everything's got to be on right. the same document. Like, so I, like Whitley Strieber has supposedly got like close to a quarter million letters. Those are paper. Wow. Those are paper letters. This is before yeah. the internet, you know, so envelopes arrived. He said they would in the mail, would, the post office would bring mail in huge bags every day to his house. And I'm not getting that, oh gosh. but I'm getting, so I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting, it's up to about three a day, three Still. really good every day, every day. Are you serious? Every day. You do the math, do the math. Three a day, but times a that year. Is that's, inc- near, that's a thousand Since what, a like 2010? Since around 2009, yeah. So, man, that is wild. I can't keep that up. That is it. so... It is, it is. I've forgotten a thousand times more owl stories than any most people have ever heard. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so just to kind of like really clarify the way you kind of see owls and UFOs, the relationship... I understand just because I, I've read a lot of your work, but I just I want to make it clear to my listeners who maybe not, not may not be as familiar. But you're not literally saying that the owl is necessarily the thing that is you know like or you know, but like the owls are just like a representation of an external uh, force, power, intelligence, whatever you want to call it. Like I know that question is really confusing. Not me, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so um, here, let me just, this is a very typical story. Uh, this is one I use. It's one of the first ones I got. And I've met the guy. He's a great guy. I hung out with him at a bar in New York and we talked for like, it was late, late, late into the night. So um, his name is Derek. He was camping as a young man in Arizona. He's out in this, under the stars. He's like blown away. Grew up in the East coast, never seen the stars like you see in the desert. So he's in Arizona in the mm-hmm. nighttime and, and, and then they got a little fire going and him and his buddy are talking. And then there's this, they look up and there's an owl on a cactus, like staring down at them. And he's like, it freaks them out. They both like, whoa, this is heavy. And that's consistent. People, when people see owls, it's not like, it's not like seeing a bunny rabbit. It's like, whoa, this is an right. ominous presence. And the owl flies off. Moments later, a triangle craft goes right above them. And I, he struggled to try to, describe the eerie motions that this craft made as it was following the contours of the landscape. And he, um, and then afterward he had another UFO sighting and then, and then he did this thing. He kind of said, well, you know, like what kind of what's what's going on? Oh, I had this thing and I had this stuff in my youth and I had this thing where my girlfriend and she kind of said that, um, you know, something happened at night and she said, I didn't want to open my eyes because I knew you wouldn't be there. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. And he said, oh, and I had a dream I was floated through the wall in my bedroom. And so it's like this stuff. And then he kind of adds to the list of, he said, oh, I had a spiritual awakening. Okay. So, so, and I get that a lot. And I've talked to other researchers and I'm like, am I out of line? Like making that claim? And they're like, no, no, no. So I was at a conference. This is, this steps into a little of the synchronistic quality of the stuff where I was like, that's a, I have a slide. I click a slide in my PowerPoint presentation. It got a full screen. It just white letters on a black background says spiritual awakening. And I say, this is right after Derek tells the story in this, in the thing. And I say, which is, I've heard this a lot. And, but it was a bold claim. And I'm like, am I, is it okay that I stand on a stage and say that people are having a spiritual, it's not a hundred percent of the people, but it's a, it seems mm-hmm. like it's a palpable, like, like you said, 
the data. Like I would love to crunch yeah. the numbers and like the people who right. contact me with all the UFO stories, how many people have had a spiritual awakening? Ooh, that would be, that would be an interesting number. Right. So I'm thinking like, I should take that slide out, right? There's no big deal. Like you just push a button, you hit delete, the slide's gone. So I was like, I was going to go on that later that afternoon. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm just going to nix this slide. And this guy comes up to me and says, Hey Mike, I'm looking forward to your talk. You know, it's funny. I had an owl in UFO thing. And, and so it's really fascinating for me. And oh, and by the way, I had a spiritual awakening in the aftermath of that. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm leaving it in. So the slide stays the slide in. The stays in. Yeah. So I didn't have to, I'm like, okay, there, I don't have to. And I never, so I've gotten to the point now where I do not overthink that. I'm like, okay. I, mm-hmm. And it's oftentimes the question is in my own mind. I don't, I don't post it online. I got no evidence of this. It's like, no, like I can't prove that. Right. Cause this only happened in my own head. I never got the guy's name. So, but, but this is the kind of thing that has happened in the research. Now you asked a question. Oh, so there's a couple ways to look at this. Like in a sentence, it, not every sentence has it, but some sentences end with an exclamation point. Uh-huh. Right. So like I have a keyboard on my desk, the exclamation point is just, I'm looking at it right on my keyboard here. It's just like, I have to hit shift one and the exclamation point appears. So I do the simple thing. It appears at the end of a sentence. It has a purpose, right? right? It's, it's giving, adding emphasis to the sentence. And so there's nothing mysterious or there's like, there's no, there's no energy in that key on my keyboard. Right. And so I'm seeing the owl in a way as a sort of exclamation point within an event. Right. So the owl oh. is the owl is just there the same way that I hit command or I hit shift one and put an exclamation point in my sentence. It serves a purpose. I'm doing it on purpose. I know exactly my intention. So I'm saying someone else is doing something on purpose, they know exactly the intention, and they're placing an owl in the scene. They put that owl on that on that cactus for Derek to see simultaneous with the UFO. I don't under, I, like, I can dance around. I could speculate on why. I, I'm not saying this is true, but I'm saying for my own, right. for my own thought processes, it allows me to, to wrap my head around it in a way that, that is a, that, that I can, can kind of grok intuitively. And the other way to say this is that the owls are an archetype and and that the beings or whatever it is, whatever intelligence that is. And I like, I'm doubtful. It may be part of it, but I'm doubtful that UFOs like, like the, like there's metal spaceships coming from another planet with little scientists that are sort of like us. They're a little farther down the, yeah. the, the evolutionary path than we are, but they're essentially mm-hmm. us, right? And they're doing mm-hmm. research the same way we do research on grizzly bears in Yellowstone National Park, right? So Lots of soil samples. Yes, they're taking lots of soil samples. Soil samples, <laughs> sperm samples, ovum. They're yeah. asking questions. Yep. They're they're f- coming back and revisiting the same, like we go back to the same grizzly bear and, and you know, check in on it a few times a summer and- <laughs> so, but that analogy falls apart when you start to look at the, you have to look at the data in its totality. If you're a, if mm-hmm. you're a, I get in trouble for this a little bit. So there's two people, there's two camps. There's kind of the nuts and bolts camp. And then some people will call it the consciousness camp. And I don't know, that's kind of a, the love and light. Yeah. I don't, I don't love that. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. But, but, and I'm going to get, so like, this is, it's not a hundred percent true. The men are 
on one side of the UFO conference and the women on the other side, the men are like, a, they're like, they're about their documents and their briefcases. And they're like, look, here's, I got this piece of paper. And I, I did a, I did a spectral analysis of the pen mark that someone put a date in the corner. And I just, and that pen was actually from, you know, the, the document is from 1951 and the, the pen was made and the ink was from 1950. And the guys are like, Hmm, isn't that interesting? I'm like, oh my God, like right. this like, there's like women over on the other side of the room and they're like having psychic experiences right now, this minute they're like channeling and they're tapping into their, it's, it's a mess. It's hard to research. The pen thing sure. is easy to research. You just go to a laboratory and you pay some money and you solve these. But, but there's something, there's something that the nuts and bolts crowd is missing. And it's this. Well, to me, a lot. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like a lot of the nuts and bolts crowd is worried about the human. It's like the human slash UFO. It's like the it's like human be- or like you know the gatekeepers relationship with U- the UFO phenomenon. And to me, while I was very interested in that when I was a teenager and watching the X Files, and you know I kind of wanted that Area Fifty One you know more conspiratorial mm-hmm. uh, narrative because it was very easy to understand. It was very cut and dry. It was like a, almost a three act structure. <laughs> it made it made a lot mm-hmm. of sense into like uh, narrative structure. But I think when you do, when you bro- you know broaden your horizons a little bit and read a lot of other works, you know even Valet, Keel, you know who are very mainstream and men, by the way, too. Mm-hmm. So it's not that the what my caricature was was is poorly suited, but it's a little bit true. Yeah, no, it is true. It, yeah, but like it, it's it's you have a hard time really coming to terms saying like, this is a nuts and bolts phenomenon and that's it. I, I would have, I would, I feel like someone would be hard pressed to really do a lot of research and then still come away with a nuts and bolts viewpoint on UFOs. Well, you can do it, but you have to ignore huge swaths of the yeah. data, data. So I'm and, like, and that's exactly yeah. It. So I'm t- talking to people who have UFO contact experiences all the time. I talked on the phone, I'm emailing constantly. I do it all day long. It's like a full-time job. And almost, it's essentially zero. So there's this Bud Hopkins, Dave Jacobs kind of thing where like, oh, the people are taken from their bed at night and they're put on a table and they go on a craft and and there's these creepy medical exams and that, I hear those stories, but it is, it would be less than 1% of, of what I hear. Right. The, what right. I'm hearing is, Oh, I had this powerful synchronicity that blows my mind. That it, it it is beyond coincidence. It feels like it was orchestrated by powers in order to change my life. Orchestrated relationships, psychic dreams, um, psychic premonitions, uh, like powerful, powerful coincidences, and an unbearable urge to like a like a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning connected to all this stuff is burning in them. That is what I'm hearing. These outlying mystical psychic synchronistic events is 95% of what people tell me. Right. Right. That's, that is very interesting. And yeah, I w- that was actually a question I had a little further down, but we're here. We might as well talk about, but like owls and synchronicities, which you have shown, you know, by, you know, I have noticed by reading your work for a long time, they're kind of inextricably linked as well. Well, synchronicity is a tough term, right? Cause it just means a coincidence right. or a meaningful coincidence, depending on uh-huh. there's a, the 
Carl Jung coined the term synchronicity in the way we're using it now. And, and his definition has been, has morphed a little in the right hundred years or so since he, or 90 years ago, since he, since he was making the, you know, his writing about his ideas about synchronicity. So where, I mean, it's like, sort of like, you know, the word facial tissue or Kleenex, they kind of mean the same thing, but, but they, you know, so, um, now, Okay, I'm I'm uh, a guy gets a hold of me. His name is Mike, and he's driving home from work. He's a he works as a nurse, a male nurse, and he's coming across. He's crossing a bridge in Springfield, Massachusetts, crossing a bridge, and he gets to the very end of the bridge. And he's about to make a left turn, and he's crossing the Connecticut River, and an owl flies full daylight, flies right up to his windshield, whoosh, and scares him. He's like in the middle of a turn, it scares him, and he's like whoa, 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 and he so he gets into traffic and he drives along and about less than a mile later, he looks over to his left and there's a flying saucer hovering and it's coming. Oh, it's actually going up and it's above the sewage treatment plant. It's not very, it's like, that's like, it's above this ugly industrial thing and, and it's going up and it's kind of cloudy and he's caught in traffic and he kind of lose sight of it as it's going up into the clouds and nobody seems to notice it. So owl UFO side by side. Then he says, oh, you know, I was, as I was driving, I was listening to my MP3 player in the car and I had downloaded a talk that you had given. I was talking to me that I, you know, so I was listening to my, he was listening to my voice talk about owls and UFOs as he saw an owl and a UFO. Wow. 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 That is something I have heard multiple times when you have guested on other people's shows. I've heard. I, I am, am I right? I, I mean, like, or maybe I'm making this up in my head, but I feel like people are having synchronicities right before they like mm-hmm. are on with you. Or right after. The yeah. Sun out. yeah, I mean, like, oh, I'm trying to think of the exact show. I, it was not that long ago, but yeah, it's it seems like. I mean, I, I want to put this label on you, but you're kind of a synchronicity generator for a lot of people. I think <laughs> I'm glad you because I'm from Michigan. I'm very polite by nature, and so it's hard for me to say yeah. that. But yes, <laughs> you're just like, yeah, and that's a that's a heavy burden because I don't like like I don't know how to. So so um, there was a guy. His name's Juan. He runs a podcast called Juan on Juan, and mm-hmm. and I was supposed to be on a show on on I can't remember like the, so there was the next day we were going to talk. So we had made the plans a week ahead of time. Wow, how we met is so funny. I won't go into it, but it's like one of those stories where it's like the problem with these synchronistic stories is like it's like trying to tell a dream within a dream within a dream where like, yeah. well, I'll start the story. But before I can, I got to back up and tell this other part. But now that I'm halfway through the story, I got to tell this other part over here. And they all are just like it's a knot. It's a Gordian knot of of messy synchronistic overlap. So so he's with his wife. And his little child, I think his child is like seven. And they're in the backyard. It's nighttime. And and he's going to be talking to me the next morning. And he's thinking, I'm going to talk to my, the owl guy tomorrow. Maybe I'll see an owl. And his son goes, Dad, look. And an orange orb floats through the backyard. <laughs> that's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, that just seems almost like a... A regular day for you, probably. <laughs> I, I got to be really careful because I, I can't seem too cavalier. But the problem was, I went through a period where I was having a lot of synchronicities, and it was I was not at peace. Ooh, I was not at peace. Right. And I was, and what I had to do was consciously 
kind of like like I had to make a declaration in a way that I can no longer be astonished by these things. Astonishment is like it's like kind of the adrenaline's pumping. You're 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 like yeah. It's it's like unhealthy to be astonished all the time. And uh-huh. I say I am allowed to be in awe. That's got a different definition. I'm allowed to mm-hmm. be in awe of these experiences, but I am not allowed to be astonished. And that was really a a good like I made it like I I was a healthier person when I established that kind of those kind of game rules in the in the in the mm-hmm. madness of my life because I I was I was it would prove to be unhealthy I was having here I'll tell you one more this was a, this was a tough one to so podcast host I heard him do you know Ryan Sprague hosts a show called uh, Some of course Sprague. yeah yeah Ryan the, Ryan the friend yeah, okay yeah. so Ryan was hosting a sh- Ryan was a guest on a guy his name is Todd and I think his, his Todd Perth weird art creative yeah creative weirdos yeah creative his 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 yeah, yeah Todd the friend too yeah, so, I love Todd so I was on so so I'm listening to and I do this very rarely but every once in a while if I get like I catch someone, I'm like, I'd be good on your show. I'll, I'll send a note. Hey, just mm-hmm. like, I think we'd be a good fit. We could have a good conversation. So I send Todd a note. I said, we we could have a good conversation. He sends me back. So I'm listening to his voice, talking to Ryan Sprague on his podcast. He contacts me and says, that's funny. You should call me, call me right now. I'm listening to your voice on a podcast, some other podcast. I was listening to your voice. And I just got back from the hospital. I had to take my son to the hospital. He's fine. But my yeah. son had eaten a Lego, a single Lego. And I had to, so I was listening to your voice talking about owls. My son had an owl Lego thing. <gasps> so he was making an owl out of Legos and he ate oh one. Oh my God. <laughs> and he ate one and they had to go to the hospital and, and the doctor was like, this is no big deal at all. The doctor was like, ah, it's no big deal. So, and, 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 uh, so he's like listening to my voice. His son goes, ah, he goes to the hospital, comes back, pushes the podcast, starts it again. And then I, I contact him. So we're, oh, and yeah. So they're like, how to back engineer that one? Like, how did that all happen? Yeah. Yeah. It's a confluence event of events that seems so unlikely to all come to, you know, and, and, and that's always how I think about synchronicities almost, you know, I guess the word coincidence and synchronicity are related, but I don't, I don't like look at them as the same thing where coincidence is like, Oh, interesting. But synchronicities where it feels like impossible circumstances sometimes, you know, the, the, the kind of pop culture, well, the more up to date, definition would be it was a meaningful coincidence it, it, it has meaning to the observer right it's might not have mm-hmm. meaning to the someone who's on the outside sometimes people tell me a synchronicity yeah. i'm like i don't get it but that happens with someone's dream sometimes too like oh i had this amazing dream and they'll tell me the dream I'm like, mm, okay it's not amazing to me but for the for the for the individual who's had the dream or for the individual who's had the synchronicity that's where the it's their it's their experience so if they if they right. if it's powerful for them i can't question that yeah Right. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I just want to say, and, and this is definitely a reach. I'm not saying this is synchronicity, but a couple stories back, you mentioned Springfield, Massachusetts. That's, that happens to be where my dad is from, mm-hmm. and all his wonderful childhood memories are from Springfield, Mass. So that is not a synchronicity per se, but a I just... A little one, yeah. We're... A meaningful coincidence to me. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, a little one. Um, here's a question I have for you, because I don't think I've ever heard you really uh, touch upon this. You know, there are... A lot of ideas, uh, you know, like 
a place like Point Pleasant, West Virginia, for example, or Crestone, Colorado, or Mount Shasta, or all these kind of like highly charged locations. Do you think there is something about certain locations on this planet that are, and, and this is an overused um, term, but like where the veil is thin between worlds and, you know, almost like a Twin Peaksy type thing where like manifestations of the strange and unusual can happen more regularly in certain places. Do, do you kind of, with your research and, you know, you've thought about this stuff a lot, do you see a relationship with location or do you think it's more individual, personally based? So I certainly follow that. I mean, I'm thinking of the Hudson River Valley and, and, yeah. and yeah, but then at the same time, I think it's, I think it's just a scatter plot right across the whole globe. I mean, if there's people, there's going to be these mystical events. There might be more around, you know, I mean, I think in a place like Skinwalker Ranch or, or something right. like that. So, so yeah, there, it, there are these things. I, then we can talk about this too. And we talked a little bit about the show, but I, I wrote a novel and it's certainly in the novel. I wrote this fictional town that that is like a you know a portal area kind of thing. So, oh, I'm totally open to that. But at the same time, right, I, I want right. to be careful not to. I, I say this all the time. I got to take two steps back. Let me just take two steps yeah. back. Like, okay, maybe mm-hmm. this is a portal area, maybe not. But the people here are having these experiences, or you know, something's going out at the Skinwalker Ranch. They're making these claims. I'm listening, but let me take two steps back and and take a little bit wider pose for a moment and just take a deep breath and say, okay, what's going on? Because once you're in it, then you're in the astonished realm, right? If you're right, right yeah. there in it. If you're like, I guess if you were in the, you know, the field at night at Skinwalker Ranch and and the you know the orbs are flying through and the coyotes are howling and and you have every right to have your boom, 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 your heart pounds. It seems real, real, real. And then you have to you have to be in a place where you can take a few steps back and say, Oh, how does this fit into the bigger picture? How does this fit into the native American lore? How does this fit into the, how are the people's lives changed that are having these events, you know? So, and I, and the same for, um, I, I lived in, uh, I spent a lot of time in New Paltz, New York, which is right in that, that hub of that's right. I, I was, I was spending a lot of time. There's a climbing area called the gunks, which is, 90 minutes mm-hmm. north of New York. And um, and that's very close to where Whitley Strieber had his cabin. And a couple of little uh. things happened there. Not Nothing's all that exciting. But but so, yeah. Oh, I'm totally open to the idea that there are. At the same time, I, right. if someone has an experience outside the portal area, I don't, I still got to pay attention to their story. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, part of me is like, I, you know, I have this is I have no evidence to back this up. It's just an idea that I guess entertains me intellectually. But like I, I, I when I was I think eighteen or nineteen, I for my I was you know a privileged kid, and my parents for my graduation present got me a trip to to fly into Seattle to go to Snow, Snoqualmie, Washington, for two days, and because I was um, Twin Peaks was a really big part of my life <laughs> and still is today. And I went there, and for two days, I was basically, like, LARPing Twin Peaks. I was so – the rest of the world, like, melted away. And I was convinced – I mean, not, like, convinced, but I really felt like I was living in this Twin Peaks world that I had invented, you know, co-created with Mm -hmm. the uh, location 
but so part of me was like you know now today wondering that like well there's a lot of people big twin peaks fans like me from all over the world for the last 30 years who have gone there probably a lot of some people as intense as i was and i wonder like wow are people leaving like a psychic imprint on this town where they shot this tv show and now things are actually gonna start happening i i, I have no evidence that there are things happening there but I, it's just an idea i kind of play with because sometimes i do feel that like is there something to like, you know, when Europeans were moving over to America and bringing their traditions, religions, mm-hmm. folklore, mythologies over here, a lot of that did carry over into even today. You know, like I can think of a couple of towns in Nebraska where they had some really odd belief systems that still are around 150 years later. Mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes if these almost like archetypical uh, mythologies and folklores that are so different invest can have an effect on a location sure i guess it could definitely have an effect on the populace but even like you know because i have found where there's some really weird belief systems in the state of nebraska there was a like kind of a cult who was kicked out of wales because they had such extreme uh kind of kind of christian beliefs but they were literally kicked out of wales and they started a small town in nebraska and it just so happens it's one of the places where a lot of activity in Nebraska has happened. Well, I think you bring that power along. Yeah. So this is this is this is uh, Joshua Cutchin terrain we're we're wandering it into is. here. So when I can. <laughs> yep. So um. Uh, there's a range in Montana called the uh, Prior Range. And it's considered the home of the little people by the Blackfoot yep. Indians and the Crow Indians, the Crow Nation. And I went in there, like this, oh, to tell the story. This is the problem with this, tell the story. I could, I'd have to eat up 45 minutes to tell like, oh, this happened, this happened, this <laughs> happened, this happened. And then, and I ended up in this, like, basically, like I ended up, I felt like whoosh, 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 everything pointed to this, to this spot on the map. Took about a it was years of synchronicities building up. I'm like, okay, I got to go. So I went there and people were like, um, uh, bring an offering to the little people. So they said, what do I bring? Tobacco. I said, I just bring tobacco. So I had these Mm -hmm. little things of tobacco. I rolled them up in a little cut up bandana and I tied them in these little bundles and I left them in tree notches in between rocks and stuff like that. And I would say, thank you. I'm a visitor. I'm asking permission to come here. And when I was like, I was fully like, I was fully expecting like it was a, it was like a six hour drive from my house to get to the prior range. And I was like the whole time I was like, okay, I'm going to see a UFO. I'm going to meet the aliens. I'm going to see the gray aliens. I'm going to meet the UFO is going to land. I got to be ready for this. And not, that didn't happen. Um, but the very first night I was in there. Oh, it's funny. Cause, cause uh, I'm going to back up a little bit. Like I, I was, I had, I had a psychic friend. Her name is Anya Briggs, and I reached out to her and contacted her on the on my little uh, flip phone at the time, and I said, "Hey, I'm going into the into the prior range. Where do I go?" And she says, "What do I know? I don't know anything about the prior range." Says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're psychic. Where do I go? And she goes, uh, "Gooseberry Lane, Gooseberry River, Goosebush Valley. I don't know. I don't know where you go." And she kind of mumbled that. And I went, so I go, great. So I went to the, I didn't have a map. So I went to the outdoor thing and I'm, I said, do you have any maps of the prior range? And they're like, oh, you want to see the little people? It's like, yeah, where do I go? 
Oh, they, it was well known. It was like, this is in Cody, Wyoming. And they say, oh, you want to see the little people? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, where do I go? And he said, oh, you go to Gooseberry uh, Creek. And the psychic had told me that like wow. five minutes before. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to Gooseberry Creek. So I went to this area near <coughs> Gooseberry Creek. And the very first night I go in there, it was like, I wasn't too far in. And it was like, kind of, there was no trails. There was pretty rough actually. Um, until I got above the tree line a little bit. And it looks just like totally cowboy movie terrain. Really wonderful, beautiful spot. And in a really remote part of Montana, which is a pretty remote state to begin with. And uh, so the very first night I like there's bears and I had to like, Oh, I got to hide my, I'd done a lot of outdoor stuff. So I had to put my tied a piece of string and I was just, I only had a couple days of food and I hung it in a tree, but I did it at night. And so I'm walking through the bushes at night walking and I, and there is a branch like basically at chest level. And all of a sudden there's this little owl on this branch. And it's as close as I've ever been to a live owl and just sitting there on this branch. And I've got the headlamp on. It's no fear at all. It's like looking around and these little moths, we stared at each other and like little bugs and moths would get in the headlamp. And this little bird, say it was called a, it's a, it's a, um, saw wet owl, tiny little owl. And it, um, it would jump up and grab the, pluck the little moths out of the air right in front of me. So adorable. Like wow. so adorable. Huge big eyes. This little thing. It looked like a tiny little cute puppet or something. Aww. And now this is a thing that I I guess like, okay, you you listen to what I'm saying and, and this is the way I remember it. This happened in 2012. This owl would jump up. And so if it owl, it would jump up and land right back on the branch. But the motion felt like it was jumping up and it had a rubber band and would snap back down to the branch. Like it jumped up slow and landed fast, right. which it should be the other way. And and I've tried to talk about this and some I explained this to one woman and she said, yeah, it sounds like I had the glitch in the CGI. And I was like, that's exactly <laughs> what it felt like. Like, so. Oh my Lord. No, I, so this whole thing happens. I can't, and I, and I come back home, my 50th, it was just approaching my 50th birthday in 2012. And I, uh, I had a dream the night I arrived home from this trip. Nothing else happened besides. So I went to see the little people. I saw a little owl. Um, and that was like, that was a pretty powerful little sighting. It was like right there. It was maybe less than a minute I was there. But I mean, it it was like less than the length. It was the length of my arm away from, from me. So um, I get home. I have a dream that night, which, which, I made this thing. And if I almost think if I ever made a poster, I should make a poster of this, but I had a dream that night. I was an art director for a long time and I had a, it was a yellow background, a gold background with a Raven's silhouette in Helvetica bold, lowercase said, follow your heart. And I had this absolutely vivid dream where I was like, in my dream, I was like, that's Helvetica bold, all lowercase. Wow. So <laughs> that is great. So how do you, that is great. That was the night I came back home from the prior range and slept in my bed for the first night again. So, Oh my Lord. So, so this is, uh, well, there's no UFO in the story. There's no, but there is like a little kind of poetic, like mood to that story. Yeah. Yeah. Man, <laughs> that is fantastic. I almost never tell that. So oh. this is, that felt good to tell a story I haven't told in a long time. So that, 
It felt great to hear it. I'll tell you that much. That was wonderful. And now I guess I'm putting prior uh, the prior mountain range on my list of places to visit. Well, it's a it's a it's, Montana. It's, you're right next to Yellowstone. It's like it's kind of near Yellowstone. Like it's pretty rough. It's like it's a pretty and it's like hard to get into. And it's where do you park? And it's Yellowstone's a yeah, lot easier. Yeah. Well, I've I've heard I'm I love I go to Montana usually. I mean, for a while I was going every summer, but at least every other year to go fly fishing. I love. I'm a big. I have friends in Missoula and Bozeman, so I usually go crash with them and we go out and adventure. About Montana is one of the one of the great one of the great places in this country. I think it's just unbelievable. It, it truly feels wild, Mike. I kind of want to switch gears for a moment, if you don't mind, sure. and I want to talk about the your new novel called The Unseen. Great. And there is, I, you're not a guy to do promotion, but I, I just want to tell my listeners, Mike does have this Kickstarter, and the Kickstarter involves creating this novel, uh, or turning this novel, in, not, not changing the book, but like making this novel available in audiobook form, which, look, a lot of us love, you know, myself included, I love audiobooks. You know, you're busy, you're doing something else, you're gardening, you're driving, it's great to be able to listen to something compelling. And so Mike has written this book uh, called The Unseen. And Mike, I was wondering if you would tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, I I, um, I just made a little note. I was going to send you the image of the Follow Your Heart. I made it. I made a tight image oh. of it. And I'll send it to you in a little bit. But so I'm holding the book Please up. And so this, you know, what's one of this book is this is so funny. The book is um, uh, it's got matte finish to it. You know, like you, instead of the shiny finish, Ooh, it's so yeah. much nicer to hold the matte finish book up into a zoom camera like this. So uh, I also have to say it's that cover is phenomenal. Did you draw I, that? I was, I'm a full-time illustrator. This is, or I used to be anyway, but yeah. Yeah. And you said you don't draw well, anymore, listen, but you drew I, this. I, I drew this but, <laughs> and it's going to also add, um, it's hand lettered too. I, that's so. Oh buddy. Yeah. It, it's gorgeous. And, I and mean, truly. So, so here, let me tell the genesis of the story. Do you know Christopher Knowles? Of yeah, course. so Chris. Yeah, I know who he is. I yeah, don't know so him. So yeah. Christopher Knowles, uh, like back in the day, I was kind of he. I was following his stuff really closely, and the genesis of this story comes mm-hmm. sort of from Christopher Knowles' kind of ideas and stuff. So, I had this idea to do a comic book in 2010, 11, and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to do a comic book." I'm like, "I got this idea," and I kind of, "Oh," and I was on fire. I was on fire to do this comic book, and I did some pages, and I <laughs> wrote a really tight treatment of like the comic book that I wanted. And then I called Christopher Knowles, who does did a lot of comic book work. Still does, I think. And he worked for Marvel for a while and such. And so um, and I said, oh, I'm thinking about doing this graphic novel all by myself. And he goes, duh, buddy, like, don't do it. Nuh-uh, like, you'll go crazy. It's too much work. Can't be done. You'll you'll kill yourself. It'll just, I'm like, oh, no, I have this idea. I want to do it. And I'm like, yeah, you'd have to hire a team. And they're like, don't do it. You know? And I'm like, okay. So, so I put it on a shelf. And then I, like, the world took over. And I was then... I guess nine years later or something like that, I pulled it off the shelf again. And I was like, this is pretty good. I like this story. Not the shelf. I, I'm, 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 that's a metaphoric, but it was a document <laughs> on my computer. I opened the computer document up and I read it and I was like, yeah, there's something here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tinker with this. And I spent some time. I spent the summer of 2019 trying to work on it. I got nowhere. I got nowhere. I just was so frustrated and trying to write fiction. And, mm-hmm. and I had written some non, I'd written the nonfiction books and I was like, and then the pandemic yeah. came and I was like, okay, well, like, let me see how this stuff. And I like, there came a point when 
you know, like the boat tries to go across the ocean and there's like a point where I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, gone too far. Like, you know, you can't go back now. And, and I'm like, okay, like I like done too much work. I can't. And I was so doubtful. I had a couple people read it, some sections of it. And they got back to me and like, the year that's the year this has to be, you have to, you have to do this. You have to finish this book. I'm like, okay. So, and I, so the story is, so, um, it's in two parts. I got, I got a little, a little like you were t- said, the three act play or the three act drama and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I got, I actually had someone from Hollywood that I know who's had the UFO and owl experience get, get back to me and oh, said, yeah, you, you like this, like you didn't follow the rules, you know? And I'm like, oh, I've never done this before. So <laughs> there needs to be an all is lost moment here. Yeah. No, oh, there's uh, an all is lost formula moment. There's is an the all is lost moment for sure. Okay. So there's company, there's pieces good, good, of good. it. He liked the book and he said, ooh, like if you ever, you know, so anyway, um, it's in two acts. Part one and part two. And part one is this character, this guy, he's an artist and he's he 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 wears a cowboy outfit to a opening, like a gallery opening. He's not a cowboy, but he wears the outfit. It's kind of this mystique. And and he's he's having this kind of creative crisis and he ends up kind of walking off into the desert and doesn't really know why. We find out later why. But initially you're like, why is this guy walking into the desert? And and it's pretty so when people would ask me, what's your book about? I would go, well, it's kind of Twin Peaks meets Twilight Zone meets The X-Files. Yes, please. Yes, please. Okay. Yes, please. So so it's, <laughs> it, and it, um, so it's a UFO story. I never use the word UFO. It's a story about abduction. Mm. I never use the word abduction. And I, and I was trying to tell on a surface story. I, I'm going to use the word Dan Brown. You know how Dan Brown, like in in like sure. it races along, it races guy. right along. You're like, <laughs> you know, you're almost like it's like you're you're like it's like when yeah. the rock videos are edited too fast. You know what I mean? That's what it was like yeah. reading Dan, Dan Brown's book for me. A so cliffhanger every paragraph. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't I didn't go that far, but I did wanted to make a pop culture kind of thing that that raced along, and at times it it it, it kind of builds up. But so the first. Part one is the guy walking alone in the desert and he's having, so it's establishing his internal thoughts and he's going through a crisis of creativity. I didn't want to say he was depressed. I didn't want to say he was suicidal. I didn't want to say he was like, you know, but, but so the metaphor was he's in the crisis of creativity, but like a, like he was, wasn't satisfied with his own creative process. And it was, it worked really well, I think. And people have gotten back to me and said that was a nice way to handle the, and then he shows up in this town and this is the twilight zone part where the town has got this kind of twilight zone. Like, where did this come from? Are you familiar with Mac Tony's, the the author he wrote? the? I, you know what? I have a couple questions about Mac. I, and I know, you, yes, I know Mac Tony. I'm a huge fan okay. and definitely want to talk about so, him. <laughs> so Mac Tony's, this is, Mac Tony's was a barista at Starbucks. Mac Tony's died in 2009 and yeah. um, I was pretty good friends with him. I never met him. I talked to him on the phone many times. And he was wonderful and really, really broke, really heart wrenching when I, the the news mm-hmm. of his passing. So, but um, uh, so he comes to this town and he gets a job at a little coffee shop in this town. It's kind of ghost town, and the coffee shop is kind of the, the hub of the town. So people come in and out. Little by little, there's like spies that are in the town for some reason, mm-hmm. not quite sure. And his old per- people that he knew from his youth kind of show up, and there's a little love story in there too, and. And then, and it gets weirder and weirder and weirder. But the but he's befriended by this guy named Tony, and it was a hundred percent Mac Tony's. 
was a hundred percent based oh, on Mac toys. That's beautiful. And I, so I, I sent the book. I kept, I ended up becoming not, I mean, I, I exchanged a lot of emails back and forth with Mac's mom after he mm-hmm. died. And I sent the book to Mac's mom. This is over oh. a decade after his, he passed. And, um, and one of, one of the things I said, cause the book had been out a little while where my sister read the book. My sister doesn't know anything about this stuff. My sister read the book. She she right. had the perfect reaction. She's not in, she doesn't care at all about this. She's she's pretty mainstream and I'm I'm kind of the mm. crazy little brother. But she said she said, "Mike, <laughs> I loved the book." She would tell me it's like, "Oh, I went out to dinner and we went out to dinner and we were with people and I was all I wanted to do was go home and find out what happens next in the story." And then at the end she finished the story and she said, "Mike, I finished the book. I love the book. I don't understand it." I love the characters. I don't understand it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's good. I kind of, I, so I wanted to make a believable set of characters that are trapped in an unbelievable, incredibly weird set of circumstances. Well, that's wonderful. And like, look, as a, as a, uh, you know, fan of stories and narrative form, like I'm almost disappointed when a, there's an ending and it's so perfect, ties everything mm. together and it's and they spell it out for you. I guess that I mean, like, you know, I, I talk about Lynch, David Lynch on every episode I do because he's a important part of my life. But he always he always says when when asked about they're like, well, what does Lost Highway mean? He's like he basically tells the the journalist to fuck off. I'm not going to answer that question. He's like, life doesn't make sense. Why does a film? Need well, to why make does sense? art have to make sense? Yeah, I mean absolutely exactly i think when you leave you know you let the viewer or the reader co-create the ending with you that is a a very meaningful thing so i I didn't mean to tangentize that was meant as a compliment to you well that was i mean you haven't read the book but my sister like was she was right to say i didn't understand i was like well i kind of like kind of my did that on purpose so i grew up in this 70s like that was my formative years i went to film school nyu film school for a year and dropped out oh wow yes and and so if you have any questions about citizen kane i can answer them but um (laughs) but a uh but there's a kind of a the movies of the 70s they seem to have permission to end in this like lost haunted way you couldn't get away with that now yeah i mean david lynch does it to a degree but but i mean there's there's, there's, ever seen a movie called mccabe and mrs miller of course, Robert oh my Altman. God. Like, can you imagine that movie? Like, I have sh- sat with people and no. said, hey, let's watch this movie. And they watch it and they come to the end. And they're like, what? What? How did, like, no. And I'm like, mm, it was the 70s, you know? <laughs> it's kind of. That movie's, that movie's perfect. I mean, like, yeah, Altman's a great example of a guy who is going to give you a very blurry ending. He's very, he's very, oh, he did a, he did a movie called The Three, or Three Women, which is, which is David yeah. Lynchian, you know, 20 years very beforehand. Much so. Yeah. Or maybe not, I guess mm-hmm. 10 years beforehand. But um, uh, so I did that. I wanted, so the ending, it ends kind of on a cliffhanger. And then I'm kind of, I'm working on a on the follow-up book presently. So I'm working on part two. Oh, great. It, I didn't want to write part, part two. And, I, and as I was finishing the book, I'm like, oh, crap. Like, I really did it, didn't I? Like, like, like this is set up so well for part two, I guess. So I'm working on it. And then I can't make any promises when or if, but. I'm tinkering with that right now. Um, oh, so the second, so the first part of this is when he gets to the town, it, it there's a flip flop completely in the story and it turns into a full on detective novel. And I read back to oh, Altman right. again. I mean, he did the, he did the long goodbye. Um, uh, so it's mm-hmm. Philip Marlowe 
It's, I mean, well, it's, it's Raymond yeah. Chandler. It's totally like, I read a ton of Raymond Chandler. It's a Raymond Chandler book after about the first 80 pages. It turns into a Raymond Chandler story. It's not as pulpy and kind of corny as far as the dialogue and such, but it, but it, but it's that same kind of like pressing, digging, digging, digging. Where's what's going on? What's the mystery? Right. What's the mystery? So. Ah, oh, I'm so excited. I have the, this interview came up kind of, uh, fast so i didn't have time to read the book but i have oh, it on the way i ordered it uh oh i know no yeah but i mean like i'm just i am so excited to read Here, this can book. i tell one so synchronicity i'll tell one story this is like there's please i'm I, in the middle of the book so uh, the book is based on in fact, I, I told some friends, I said it in the opening here. I'll read, I'll read, I got the book right in front of me. I'll read the first couple pages Ooh, here. Great. This, not the first couple pages. I'm going to read this first couple paragraphs. And it's author's note. This book is dedicated to everyone who has reached out to me with their stories. This is me, like I re- receiving all these stories. It would be impossible for me to truly express the depth of my gratitude. So much of what has been shared with me has made it into the pages of this book. No accounts have been presented exactly as told. They've been stretched and changed to fit the narrative, but their flavor and mood saturate this tale. This includes my own stories. As an author, I have worked hard to honor these intangible experiences. So a lot of this stuff is based on like events that either showed up in my files or people told me or in my own direct experience. There's a, um, in the middle of the story, there's a kind of a romance that's kind of building and it's this little haunted town. And then the man and woman, the main character go to the, it's like a, they go to the, the abandoned elementary school and they sit on the swing sets and have like the talk. And as they're having a talk, one owl lands on one side of the swing set and one owl lands on the other side of the swing set. This is based on a real event that happened to a woman named Susan. She's in the first book, The Messengers. She had a, she was at an Easter dinner. This is really fun. So this is, this is the problem again, to tell the story correctly. I'm going to, she went to an Easter party in 2010 and she, and on, she had a, she something was going on with her spine. She said there's energy running up and down her spine and it was freaking her out. She said it was like a Tesla coil going off. And mm-hmm. then she, she told her husband, like, I got to get out of here. I'm going to go home. And they had separate kids. Great. Go, go, go. Like, you okay. And so the, the husband was going to take, come home with the daughter later. And so the husband stayed at the Easter party. She went home. She's in Massachusetts, beautiful spring day. She goes in the backyard and she lays in the hammock, full daylight. She lays in the hammock an owl lands on one tree. The hammock is tied between two trees. Owl lands on one tree and then an owl lands on the other. And these owls are hooting at each other. And she's lying in the hammock between them. And she says, I had energy running up and down my spine. I, if like in my mind, it was like having a component on a circuit board, like a little battery energizer component. That's like being zapped from both directions. And she said, she says it right in, I talked to her, I recorded the conversation. She says, I was being recalibrated. And afterwards wow. she started doing like, she started doing energy healing with her hands. She said, nobody, I never, I never put an ad out. I never got a website. People would just call me up and say, I need like an energy healing. So, okay. So she would just, and she was able to do that after that event. So 
that's the real life story. I kind of took it. I stretched it and changed it a little bit. It's two people on a swing set, but essentially the same thing. Owls land on the swing set. The people get zapped. They pass out and they have this near death experience, this kind of out of body experience. They enter the timeless realm, which is right there in the UFO thing. Like, like if you've read enough literature, periodically someone says, you know, I was on board the craft and I knew everything in the universe. Mm-hmm. People who have the near death experience said, oh, I was in the other realm. I was, I was there in this magical, timeless realm of universal love. And I knew everything in the universe. So I, I'm like, okay, I'll put him there. I'll, and like, that's in the literature. I'm just going to have them know everything in the universe. And they two people side by side. And then, and then they get separated, like the spies and the, there's all this tension. And so, and I, Oh, I needed, I knew I had some notes on this and I knew I had to write this up and I, I, I put it off and I put it off and I put it off. And finally I sit down and I write this and I write it at night and the next morning I reread it and I'll go, you know what? Okay. Like move the comma here. I repeated this word here. Let me clean this up a little bit here. And then I go, Oh my God, what did I do? I created a story where two people have a shared near death experience. It's like ridiculous. It's absurd. It can't happen. It's like impossible. And then at that moment I go, I'm so tired. I can't even sit up. I'm like going to pass out. And so I just laid down and took a nap and boom, I was out. It was like, mm. and I, I think I was out for like two hours and I woke up. It was one of those things where you'd wake up from a nap and I was like, is it morning? Did I sleep all night? How did, <laughs> and so I go back to my desk and I check my, you know, so I check Facebook and I did something I almost never do. Like there's a little way to, someone sent me a little notice and said, this person wants to be your friend on Facebook. And it's this woman. And I'm like, there's so many bots and fake identities. I'm like, who is this person? Mm-hmm. And I don't do this often. So I'm going to figure out who this person is. So I check her. Her name is Scarlett Heinbuck. And I looked her up and she wrote a book about a shared near death experience. What? So, I'm not, so she wrote a book about a shared near death experience. <laughs> and then now her story is, so she, there was someone who was basically in the hospital dying. And she knew the mother. She had met the mother. And this woman, Scarlett Heinbuck, does Reiki. And she said, I, can I go in? I, I'll, I'll go and sit with your son and give him Reiki. Like he's, he's basically, the doctors have said he'll never regain consciousness. His kidneys are failing. He's going to die. The mother came from out of town to, because her son was going to die. So she goes in. She's all alone in the room. She holds his hand. She can't see him. Right? He's got tubes up his nose. He's got a breathing apparatus. He's got his eyes are taped shut. She doesn't even know what he looks like. And then she holds his hand and then whoosh, she's like vaulted into this other reality. She sees this guy floating away, going into the light. She grabs his hand and they have this connection. She's like, I know you. And it turns out to be the guy she was holding the hand in the bed. They've been married for, they've, oh. he made a full recovery a full recovery, astonished all the doctors, and they've been married for 10 years. It's a beautiful, that it's a beautiful is, story. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing so, that. So th- so this is this that, was the 10th. That was a that was like that was like an A plus kind of event when I was writing the book. But the whole yeah. book was written in a cloud like that. Wow, that is incredible. Well, it's I think that's so interesting to infuse these stories. And, you know, and, and, you know, like you said, you're stretching them and you're making it fit your narrative, but to be inspired by that and then put it in the book, that that's just a, uh, that's very interesting. I've never really heard anyone do that in novel form, to be honest. Well, I've re- at least 
I mean, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's been well, done. You know, you know, but, Whitley Stuber yeah. wrote a book. I think it was called The Grays. This is going back probably mm -hmm. around 2010 or so, and he was doing it. Like I, he would because you know he had a website and he would have these stories and you know kind of the right. news at the time. And I would like, hey, wait a minute, that's the story about this. He just plugged it into the narrative. So, so oh yeah, it happens. Obviously, right. Ah. Uh. That, but that's a nice device. I think that's just an interesting way to do it. Uh, you know, it's almost like I, I always love new forms and interesting and abstract and surreal forms of changing narrative and storytelling, just like how Brian Geisen and the cut up method that William S. Burroughs would use where they would, you know, grab random sentences and put them together and find new mm -hmm. meanings in the stories. And I, I just find all that stuff fascinating. And in a way, that's almost like you're taking stories cutting them up and then using them in your I don't know if that analogy works oh, oh, but you know yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. I, I, I oh it just got sunny in the room here how funny um oh that if it doesn't happen I'm in Seattle it doesn't happen very often it's gets sunny yeah. so, um <laughs> the uh so my files that I would love to get a, to statisticians to come in and crunch the numbers like I got thousands of thousands of mind here this is I'm going to tell the story I've told this one a lot and I love it there's no UFO in this story, but it is everything about this owl mystique. So um, a boy, he's on a Native American reservation in Michigan, which I didn't know was there. It's called the Huron Reservation. And I looked it up on a map afterwards. Mm -hmm. Not much. It looks like a neighborhood, basically. So so he, was, he grew up on the reservation, young Native American, and he was flying a kite. And he loved this kite. So he's flying this kite in a field. And then something that's never happened before, the ball of string gets pulled out of his hand and the kite gets pulled away in a strong gust of wind and he watches the kite fly 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 into the woods and he, and he goes with his friend and he said i want to find the kite let's go find it so they go into the woods and they walk around and then they see the kite way up high in a tree and they're, oh, oh so they walk to the base of the tree and at the base of the tree is an owl and the owl's all wrapped up in the string <gasps> And, and, and they're little kids. He's like 12. So they go get an adult and the adult comes back and they take the owl and they cut it free with scissors and the owl's injured. So they nurse it back to health and eventually release it. Now, wow. what I asked him next will tell you the kind of stories I've been getting. So I heard, he told this story and I, my first question was, are you a shaman? And he goes, oh man, in a word, yes. And he, sh I'm not going to share what he said, but but he told me some stories about how hard the shamanic path was emotionally for him, which is, which is, so there's a little story. It, like if, if, like I just, it was a person's real event. But if I went into my Jungian analyst and laid on his couch and said, I had a dream last night. I was flying my kite and it flew away and I tangled the owl and I set him free. Like, like the, 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 you know, the, the psychiatrist could, wow, is that rich with symbolism? Uh, yeah, for sure. But it's, but it's a real life event. And this is what I'm finding. This is, so that, that flavor and mood is what I'm finding in these stories. And that's what's the most fulfilling and rewarding for me is, is that richness to these stories. Absolutely. Oh, that is a fan. That is so fantastic. You know, some, something I kind of think about, 
Um, and most of the writing I've done really has been for, you know, uh, you know, trying to pitch TV shows and screenplays and stuff like that. So it is a little bit different, but you know, when I, when I remember when I was like taking screenwriting classes in college and, you know, pl- playwriting classes and stuff like that, the professor would always say like, whatever the story is about, whatever the, whatever the character is going through today is the day, you know, like where everything changes, you know, and, and that's a common, like, you know, uh thing people, you know, teach in narrative structure. But what I kind of pull apart from that is that we're about ready, ready to witness. It, it, it could be a, a movie or even a TV show. It could be like Breaking Bad with Walter White. We're watching an initiation happen Mm-mm-mm-mm. or a transformation of some sort. And I I almost think, and I, I feel like it maybe I'm, you know, getting a little too weird, but like a lot of times when I write, I do feel like because I'm creating a new world, I'm creating a new characters. These people in this story do not exist except, you know, from my own mind. It almost, at, at, you know, to a small degree, it feels like an initiation experience for the writer as oh, well. I've never written fiction before. I've never written fiction before. Right. And, and I, this little town, let me tell you, I can, I, I know every pebble on the sidewalk in this town. Yep. And the characters, yep. this is something like, I didn't. I was not interested in, in making a like a villain. And there's no villain in the story. There's no bad guys. I didn't want to like, like I wanted. Again, I'm from Michigan. Like I polite. Like I don't want to give someone a book and have them have like get lost in this bad experience, right? Or like have a you know right. I the, so the two main so the, there's a core few characters right at the center of the story, and I fell in love with all of them. Like I was mm-hmm. so rooting for them in my own way as I was writing. Here, can, can I read a little excerpt from the book? Please. This is something, oh, I would love this that. Something I just, uh, so, and this is, I, I just had it, I, I, I read this before in another talk and it, it explains a little bit about it. So there's two characters, a man and woman, the main character is named John, um, and then there's the love interest and she's connected with the spies. You don't quite know why. Mm-hmm. And he's like arrived in this town. He doesn't know quite why he's there. The spies don't know what brought them to the town. So there's this mystery at play and it doesn't really get solved in a way that might satisfy someone if they're looking for a, for a you know, tidy ending. So, but this is, right. this is kind of two thirds of the way through the story and, and the, 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 the these characters kind of walk off into the at the edge of town and they're having this conversation out alone in the sagebrush right at the edge of town and um so there's this team of spies so the first person character is so is essentially me he's the guy that went through the creative crisis and so his name is john i don't think his name gets mentioned here but his name is john i asked do you talk about this with your team what it all might mean She said, no, not like this. We talk around it, about little parts of it. I pressed her. What is it? What does it all mean? I don't know, but I know what I feel. She spoke with so much emotion, I thought she might start crying. I said, what do you know that I don't? She said, I'm not sure, but I can say this. My team is lost, and they have no idea of what to make of me or of you. And I can I swear on this podcast? Okay, please, so, please, please. and I don't want to hear any of your I don't know shit because you know more than they do. That shut me up. 
She looked indignant and said, Nobody here has asked you, but I'm asking you now. How did you get to the bottom of that canyon? She stood steady and waited for an answer. And I could tell she didn't want some play-by-play of me turning left at a big landmark or squirming down some narrow drainage. She was asking something else. I studied her beautiful green eyes and said, I let go. I let go of caring. I let go of my old life. I didn't care if I died. I let go of everything. She asked, And how do you feel now? Alive. I spat that word out. I was angry. I was mad at everything that stood between me and a deeper truth. She and I were connected to something. We were swimming in it. There was a powerful knowing all around us. Yet, I couldn't tap into it. Neither of us could. Not fully. But it was there, leading us on, guiding us. Oh, man, I love now, that. Now, this, <laughs> when I wrote this, like I wrote it and I kind of like just in the moment writing it and just rereading it after I wrote it, I said, this this is about, this is fully fits into the plot. It's in the right spot of the plot. It's got a nice oomph to it, but this is a hundred percent about the creative process. Like the mystery of the creative process. Like, what is it? And like, I don't know. Like, like I can't, but it's leading me. Like I can't let go of it. So that was like the process of (laughs) writing the book is, is, is embedded. Like that, that passage was about me writing the book and the challenges and the struggles and the, and the, and the tensions of it. Yeah. That's amazing. It's like a little bit of an artist aside in the middle of the book, but weaved into the story. It's like, look, this is a hard process and a hard road for me to go down. But exactly, yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. So the whole, in, in in a weird way, the whole book is like a, a, an artist aside of like the process of. Well, it's it's the process of me as having had the the direct contact experience, what I which I feel I've had, mm-hmm. um, trying to make sense of it. So that's the mystery yeah. of the book. Oh, Mike. Uh, well, I think my listeners and myself are very teased. Uh, this is a, I mean, it sounds like an amazing read. Good for you. I'm so, I mean, it's so scary to tell a story, <laughs> you know, it, it is. Uh, and I just, I am so excited about reading this and I know just, I mean, if, if when the Kickstarter comes through and you get the financing, are you planning on reading this or do you want to hire Oh, I somebody? hired someone. They're actually already reading it. So I'm, I'm uh-huh. kind of like, I'm Oh, like, good. It's going to, so I, I, this is, I spent months trying to read the story. I got a few chapters online. I just post, posted them up there that I read. I right. was, it sounds great. I sound, I was a good, but let me tell you, I could not, I was so slow. If I read the whole book, yeah. it would, it would be, it would be a year. It would take me a year to read the whole yeah. book. <laughs> and and this guy, this right. guy whose his name is Jay. He's a he's a he's got the perfect voice for it. And the character, the main character, is sensitive. So it's like kind of instead of a tough guy detective, it's like a lost sensitive artist detective <laughs> trying to solve right. things. So it's kind of the, it's like a, so that was the thing where I wanted the character. I wanted the story to be full of nice people. And so as the reader, that's good. That's refreshing. Oh, I, I did that fully on purpose and people really got back to me. Good. You know who read it is Lucinda read it. And she was so, oh. so kind in her words about after reading it, when she got back to me, yeah. as, as far as getting lost in the story and, and, and how, um, and she's someone who's had 
let's we can say the direct contact experience and and i think it resonated for her in a way that it might not resonate for someone like my sister my sister read it on one level it was an adventure story that she loved the characters lucinda with the with her direct experience i'm certain she she read it at a different level with yeah there could it could have even been you know I, i haven't spoken to her about it but like even a little bit of cathartic a cathartic feeling you know from like oh i'm not the only one going through this uh hard to um grasp stuff you know <laughs> like so it, ah that is so fascinating yeah um mike before i let you go uh i did want to talk about mac sure. tony yeah. because mac mac you know is uh he was incredibly influential to me you know i think i was having kind of this ufo or high strange renaissance right around 2008 kind of right before your podcast or blog came out i i got really obsessed with radio mysterioso and kind of like you know begged greg to be my friend and uh we, you know we're still friends to this day but that is actually where i heard i think i heard about you i think you were on that show but through radio mysterioso i discovered mac tony's and mac while he didn't have a lot of like interviews or even writing out there he had crypto terrestrials and his book about mars Everything he wrote about, and every time he was on a podcast, it was like game changing. Oh yeah, for yeah, me. yeah. You know what I'm saying? And he was so young; he was younger than me at the time. Like he was not. I mean, I think when I first started hearing him talk, he was like maybe 30 yeah. years old. And what, like, what? First off, an absolutely brilliant human being, and just was a next level thinker on some of this stuff. And I was just wondering, can you talk about? Your relationship and a little bit about Mac? So I, I heard him on Banal of America. I think it was in a uh-huh. two-part episode of Banal of America, so that works out to like four hours of him talking. He had this wonderful, deep, mm-hmm. thoughtful voice, the way he spoke. Really yep. got a, had a great voice, which I, in the book, you know, when, when he meets the character Tony, I say, you know, like, oh, he had a wonderful, deep voice. That was, I was referencing Mac completely. Um I, I just heard him and this is like, this has been 2007 or something. I just dialed him up. I like dialed up information. He was lived in Kansas city, Missouri. Right. And I just like Kansas city, yep. like information. Can I give him the number of Mac Tony's? Great. Ding, ding. And I called him <laughs> up. I like, I was on fire at a certain chapter of my life. I was just like, this is like, I'm going to figure this. I'm going to like, I had been confronted with yeah. my own mystery and it was myself. And I was going to, I was going to anything I could do to try. So, we started talking. I just called him up and, and, and then, you know, we, he would comment on my blog. I started a blog of cartoons and he was super supportive of my illustrations. And then he was super supportive of my blog and then he would comment. And so we would come back and forth and we would have the typical late night conversations like go just for hours and hours and hours. He was, and he was, he was, like he never was maudlin. You know what I mean? Like I was, right. I was at a point, those years were tough for me. Cause I was like, I was confronted with the issue. Am I a UFO abductee? And all the clues were pointing right. to it. And I was, didn't want to go there. Didn't want to deny it. He never mm-hmm. coddled me. He would just be like, Oh, here's this other story. Here's this interesting thing. And you know, oh, isn't that interesting? I would tell a story. He wouldn't be like, wow, that sounds rough. He never did that. He would be like, well, here's another interesting story. Yeah. This fits with this other thing. So he was always just like steady and above board in that, in that way. And um, I did a, I did a book 
this is I just have these in my desk, so don't I'm not sure. But this is this was a memoir. I did this. This got published in 2019. It's kind of it's the it's a collection. It's called Hidden Experience, which is based on my blog. Yeah, I I have it too. It I think it's essential. It's essential reading. It's it's wonderful, and a lot of that is your old blog it's post. Almost too, told right? entirely right through the blog post. I I kind of yeah. come in at the end and I add a little bit, and I but it's told through the blog post. Mm-hmm. But there's the one chapter is uh, chapter four, remembering Mac Tonys. That's the one people comment on. They read the book and I'm like, oh, that oh the chapter on Mac Tonys is so touching. Yeah. So like, I was I was hit. Per- Mac was just Mac had done coast to coast with George Norrie like less than two weeks before yep. he died. And Greg Bishop is on that. He calls in. If you listen to it, it's archived on, yep. on the Coast to Coast website. You can listen to it. And yep. and Greg Bishop comes in and and um, his voice is there as one of the call-ins. And then Mac, Mac during the talk says, you know, I have a friend and he was, saw these owls and he had to wonder. And that was me. So he's mentioning me in the story. <laughs> and, um, but wow. Oh, and then, so his book, The Crypto Terrestrials, was very close to being done when he died. He died of an undiagnosed right. heart, di- heart I- issue. It's really in, like annoying because everyone that knew him and the, his family and stuff, there's nothing, everything, there's there's all this kind of, there was at the time, this kind of speculation, oh, the secret government took him out because he was onto something. And I'm like, right. it, doesn't, it doesn't play out. It doesn't yeah, play out at all. God. And I'm like open to conspiracies, but like you gotta, they gotta be tempered sure. with a little bit of logic and and- yeah, but people were just making shit up basically, and it was really annoying at the time. Yeah, of course. So, um, but the book was essentially done, and Patrick Weege from Anomalous Press was going to publish it, and I mm-hmm. had talked to Mac extensively about doing the. He wanted me. To, I said I would love to do, what well, you know the chapter headers, and he's he was a big fan of R. Crumb, Bob Crumb, the guy who who does the right underground comics. He's still around, and he's like in his eighties and still cranking out beautiful stuff um great documentary oh yeah yeah Uh, terry swigoff directed that documentary yeah it's amazing Mm -hmm. and um so i said i could do like i could do chapter headers like the r crumb and r crumb style and uh there was a there was a book called the monkey wrench gang which r crumb did which was written by edward abbey and it was was but r crumb did the chapter headers for that so i'll do it just like the monkey wrench gang how r crumb did that so i so i ended up doing that i did these illustrations for his books so um and that was they're beautiful oh, thank by you. the way absolutely they really add a lot to the, well, the book. book it's I, a I short little it's fantastic. about 75 80 pages it's a short little book and yeah it's enough yeah it's it's unfortunately short <laughs> i would i mean it's, it's a beautiful read oh, and there's a, there's it, a um audiobook of it too and i just listened to it recently and it just came out, yeah. So Anomalous Press did an audiobook of it oh, recently, wow. and it it just flows so beautifully. It's this. He was smart, and he knew how to. You know what? Here's what I learned oh, yeah. from from Mac. Mac would say. He would say, "Well, now I'm speculating," and he would kind of go off and speculate about things, and he, and he'd kind of come back and say, "Now I'm done speculating." He didn't do it as formally as mm-hmm. that, but it was really obvious, and that's a really what has been a really powerful lesson for me in this field. Like if you're speculating. Don't come across like you know what you're talking. Don't come across like you're saying the truth. Other people do that. Wow, is I get annoyed and I can name some names. I won't, but um, yeah. And then uh, Stephen Greer does that <laughs> in, a, in an awful way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Lot. <laughs> so, so, uh, but, but, like, if you're going to speculate, great. Just frame it as speculation, not as fact. So, uh, but when I did the um, illustrations, 
oh my god that was my i was plagued with synchronicities like just really uh, um so so he Patrick Weege, the, the publisher, sent sent me the document. And I went to the Xerox shop in my town. I printed up the document. I was going to read it. And it was a three ring. I punched holes in it. It was a three ring binder. And so I, I was like super nervous because it was like I was really upset. And I was like, I have to do this. It was emotionally charged. So I remember the day I was like, okay, I got my reading glasses. I sat down on the couch. I had the three ring binder. I had a cup of tea. I was, And then I opened the book. I read Mac Tony's The Crypto Terrestrials on the very first page. And right next to me, my stereo went clunk. And it spit out like a CD. And it was off. It just turned like it was like it was off and it spit out. It had never done that before, never done it since. It somehow turned itself on, spit out the CD. The CD wasn't anything that was the hair, the, the soundtrack to Hairspray, Roger, or um, John Waters' Hairspray. So it was not that exciting, <laughs> but um, yeah. But someone, like, it was interesting when you have the blog, you have <clears throat> a whole bunch of people out there who can chime in and they can say, oh, Mac was a, was, wrote about the laser beam and the cat. And there's a laser beam in yes. the, in the, uh-huh. in the CD player. That's how CD player works. It's got a, it's got a laser beam. So that was the, so I, where I was sitting, I could kind of like reach and touch the stereo when I was sitting on the couch. So that was how close I was to the laser beam. And, and I, this is, I wrote an essay, which is in Hidden Experience. They're side by side, my essay, which I wrote about a piece of string and a cat, my cat. And he wrote yep. about a laser beam and his cat, where he would, we, were, we wrote essentially the same essay and that was our last email when we realized, hey, that way, we wrote the same essay. Oh. When, and, and the last email he sent to me, he said, wouldn't it be weird if we wrote it at the same time? And I searched <laughs> and I searched and I went back and I found his thing and I found mine dated. It was within a few weeks of each other in 2006, I think. We wrote the same essay. Before wow. I had ever heard of Mac Tony's, I wrote an essay about a cat and string, which is the very first post on my blog. And he wrote a story about a cat and a laser beam, which was the very first story in the book. You, wow. you can't read those two side by side without saying, well, they're essentially the same thing. And it, it's funny because Mac was a futurist, right? So he's talking mm-hmm. about AI and technology and I'm a Luddite. Like I'm like, I'm this guy who goes ultralight backpacking. And, and I, so he talks <laughs> about a laser beam. I talk about a piece of string. And it was so, Mm -hmm. it's just on so many levels. It was just like, it was, so the whole writing process was just, I was like lost and and excuse me, the illustration process for those, for that book, I was lost in that cloud of, well, there was a lot of stuff going on then. I, I, I had to see a doctor because of heart trouble with the day after the day, the day I heard the news, he, I had chest pain and I had to go to, I went to the hospital or I went to the clinic. And he died of an undiagnosed heart. That is, it proved to be nothing. It was called it was called um, pericarditis, which is which is an inflammation Mm -hmm. of the sac that is around your heart. Your heart is encased in a little thin, almost like saran wrap little sac. Right. And that sac can get can get inflamed like a like a like the same way that um like an infection. It's usually a viral infection, but it presents as a, as a heart attack. So 
Wow. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he was, it's, well, you know, I will say he, he was around for a very short period of time, you know, um, at, at least involved in these, you know, in the UFO topic, but wow, what oh, an impact, oh, you know, like he lost. obviously he had such a massive impact. Yeah. Huge. And I've read crypto terrestrials at least three times and I pick up something new every time. And like, and he's very clear. He's like, I'm not saying this is the answer to the UFO topic. But yeah, but you know, Mac wrote this, you know, just as a speculation, like you know, Mike was talking about. It. He's like, This is a thought experiment on a possibility of what UFOs represent, and that too was very refreshing because a lot of times when you read these books that have new ideas, people are kind of couching it in, This is the answer, I've figured it out. But that was not Mac's game, you know, so, what this is, yeah, what is that? It looks like a leather. Is that Max leather jacket Mom, that he is in, nearly in every photograph? He's I, wearing that perfectly. His mom's really. His mom oh, that is so yeah. sweet. Greg got a whole that bunch of books, and I got the leather jacket. So, oh man, yeah. I wear it. I wear well, it very you're the rarely. Right person to have and, it. And, uh, so yeah, in the um, wow. Um, I. There's a picture in the crypto terrestrials of Mac standing in a doorway, and uh-huh. he's kind of backlit, and and or the you know the lights pouring in the doorway. He's looking out the doorway, and it was meant to be kind of evocative and eerie, and it just reeks of death, like the image. And I drew this thing, and it was me wearing Max wear the same height. I was wearing the jacket, and if my next door neighbor said, "Okay, let's stand in the doorway," I want. I had this idea, and I had a sketch, and she took some pictures of me, and I kind of stood there, and I was holding the door open, and and then I used that image to kind of, you know, you want to capture the wrinkles, and so it was me, and I'm bald, and Mac was shaved his head, and and so it was like me as Mac wearing his jacket. It was after he died, and I was. It was like, it was like, and then the, it just it was so, like it reeked of death like standing at the doorway and I was like, I got to do something. And I took a single little, if you look at the illustration, I drew a single little alien kind of out in the kind of Steven Spielberg glow, the comic book, Steven Spielberg glow of, and then, and it changed the nature of it completely. And I was like, I'm done. And that was the final thing I did for the book. And, and that was super emotional to draw. Yeah. Uh, well, the illustrations are, you know, really helped round out, you know, because the work was, I mean, you know, technically the book was incomplete because he wasn't done writing it. And I think, was, was Paul Kimball involved in getting that published? I think he, I, I don't think he was involved in getting it published. Paul Kimball came out afterwards and did a series of books of um, Post-Human Blues where he, where he, where he documented, That's I don't it. think it was the complete I think it was selected writings from Mac Tony's from the, so yeah, Paul Kimball did a series of books. I think there was four volumes of the, right. um, of his writings in the blog. So, so yeah, that was again, the futurist. He was right there at the dawn of the, of the blogging community. Yeah. yeah. Well, a, a nice thing. And, and, you know, I wanted to bring up Mac just because I knew you knew him and I'm, Oh, I love to talk really about him. Admi- I really admired him, but you know what I've, I've noticed just kind of, um, Unfortunately, I do go on Twitter quite a bit. <laughs> I'm trying to get off it, but uh, I do notice young people getting into getting interested in UFOs are discovering yes. the crypto terrestrials now. 
So I feel like this the book is maybe it's kind of having this like renaissance. And while I'm, you know, not trying to be a UFO hipster, a lot of what's happening in the UFO world now is very uninteresting to me in terms of like disclosure and a lot of that aircraft stuff. carriers. And, but to know. see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, it's it's become it's become a political thriller that I'm just not interested in. <laughs> and uh, but to see max work out of all people finding its way through the cracks in 2023 and 2024 really is heartening to me yeah. <laughs> i'm like there is hope you know so because i mean it's not like you know mac was pretty underground for for you know an underground topic like ufos mac was like mar uh, in the margins of ufology <laughs> you know so but he was recognized by um, jim mosley spoke about mm-hmm. him like he's like you know like spoke sure. about max so other people knew him and he was you know connected to paul kimball yeah. and he so he was yep. and, and greg well greg is you know greg is i mean greg would did a zine which is the perfect sort of underground yeah com you know like the totally. the, the a zine i don't even know if it, that that translates to, to modern lexicon anymore but yeah so there was that that underground aspect and he was also like a lot of his blog was like music and quirky yeah this like the dawn when you could embed a youtube video into a blog was like mind-blowing at the time and so he had like quirky little computer generated optical illusion videos and stuff like that so it had a real real fun engaging thing and a lot of his short essays were really wry and funny and you know Oh, he was very acerbic yeah. and hilarious and like in like really sneaky funny, you know, like and I remember he loved the Smiths. So uh, I connected with him on that, yeah. you know, like I, I was, but like he was just such a dynamic person. And it's just, you know, but his presence is still felt today, you know, because I mean, like whether people know it or not, they may be influenced by Mac, you know, <laughs> they just didn't know where those ideas came from. But yeah. I feel like I mean, I'm really jealous that you got to form a well, relationship I never met him. with him. I never he met was him. one of those yeah. people. But you talk to him on the phone. You don't have to meet someone in person to have a relationship, you know? Like, uh, so, but, you know, I I remember after his death, you know, hearing you, I think there was a, like a round table on Radio Mysterioso with you, Paul. I can't remember who else was on, but it was like a, it's really like a classic episode, just hearing you guys yeah. who were closest to Matt. And, and Nick Redfern was good friends work, with him. So. Absolutely. Nick as well. Yeah. So, Oh, Mike, this has been so meaningful and fun to me. Uh, you know, I I didn't even get to <laughs> I got to like one page of my questions, which is great. So I would uh, I would beg you to Anytime. come back on because Anytime. I really I really want to. One of the things, uh, folks, if if you go back and you can, the blog is still up. The hidden experience. I don't think you write on it as much bit, anymore, but not much. But it is such a valuable resource. Because I was lucky enough to read it as you were writing it. And I mean, like you, it, it was like no other experience reading about someone uh, who's having these experiences because it was so unique because you were experiencing this stuff in real time and really grappling with it. Like in those early podcast episodes, you can really hear how, oh. I, I don't know if is, is trouble oh, the perfect. right word. I mean, you were definitely, a, you were going mess. through yeah. it, man. So the the, so, the blog was my... Like I could, like I was living in a little town in Idaho. Like I didn't have, I couldn't go. Wow, the light mm-hmm. got really weird in the room here. The the uh, it did yeah. change. Yeah. So I I um I like I couldn't go to a, like basically I was having a nervous breakdown because of it, you know. So I couldn't go to right. a therapist. Right. So I started a blog, 
And that was my therapy. And then when I couldn't, <laughs> and when I couldn't, like, I was like, I got to talk to someone. Like, how do I talk to Whitley Strieber? Like, I'll start a podcast. So I started the podcast. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, it is, it's like, and this is, it's like, it's not like, it's not, you don't have to read between the lines. Like, it's right there. Like, I'm, a, I was like, I was like struggling to, to, to like break through yeah. the denial. And I was flip flopping, like, is this real? I think this is real. It couldn't possibly be real. It can't happen. This is real. So yeah. And then, and then, like, like I could have written a memoir and said things like 10 years ago, this happened. So, but I, yeah. but I right. took the, the blog format and then just put it into that, that book where it, it, where in the, some of the posts say this happened last night. Here's a weird thing that happened to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's what made it so uh, unbelievably unique because it wasn't recollections. Like you said, from 10 years ago, it was like. This was happening in real time. I mean, oftentimes, yeah, like you said, the next day you were writing about it. And, like, I've never experienced anything, you know, before or since then quite like it. So I would highly recommend folks getting the Hidden Experience book, The Messengers, The Unseen, anything with Mike Clone's name on it is worth your money. Mike, you are an absolute wonderful human being. Uh, There's such also just a real sweetness about you. So this has just been, like... um, you know, like I said, when I first met you, I felt like the really, <laughs> I felt like I knew you. And it was one of those things where like, I listened to and read so much of your work. And obviously you're like, who is this large Nebraska bozo? But, uh, you know, it was, I was so shocked and excited and you handed me a book and it was, just, it was just so meaningful to me. So my man, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for coming on. It was really. Oh, I'm treat. totally humbled. It was my honor completely. Thank you. Uh, is there? I'm sorry. Before I forget, is there anything uh, you know? So I I will put the links in for the Kickstarter and you know where you can find his books. Basically, all things Mike Clellan will be in in the show notes. But is there anything you'd like to plug just or just talk about the Kickstarter one last time? Well, the Kickstarter thing is good. You know, it's going to be. It's only got two weeks left of it, and and I feel like eh, yep. it's kind of like I'll, I'll I'll do fine with that. And 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 yeah. um, but the. Uh, you know, so if someone listens to this show, you know, a month from now, that won't mean anything. So, but, but yeah, the books have been, nope. I've been pouring a lot of energy into the books and you can find those easy enough on Amazon and you can type in, uh, mikeclellan.com. And if you can't think of that, you can type in UFO owls and I come right up. So <laughs> perfect, 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 perfect. Mike, it's been so fun, buddy. I hope you have an incredible dinner this evening. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you. Goodbye.